SL, I had the pleasure to publish this jam-packed article a number of years ago in my popular free e-zine, DNA Monthly. It remains fascinating to this day. Enjoy. Go to Archive Index. Richard Allen Miller and Burt Webb. Introduction. Holography is the process of recording and recreating complex three-dimensional wavefronts in space. The holography with which we are most familiar deals mostly with the visible spectrum, so we tend to think of holography in terms of three-dimensional photography. However, holography can be conceived in different realms of the spectrum. The process of lasers and laser abilities to create images in space and visible light radiation is closely connected to microwave research and a device called a maser which broadcasts coherent radiation of microwave frequencies. It should be possible, in theory, with the proper kind of equipment, to capture and broadcast complex three-dimensional waveform structures in space across a broad band of the electromagnetic spectrum. We can call this broadband holography. Thus holography here refers to a whole range of processes for capturing waveforms at different frequencies. Some of the interesting properties of holography have to do with its differences from photography. In photography, light from an object is reflected onto a flat surface where it essentially discolors that surface, or rather, the shadow that it casts discolors that surface. If you cut a photograph in half, you have half of the original picture. Holography is quite different. In a hologram, the pattern of light created by the object is recorded at each point of the film. Each grain contains the whole image. Each image is slightly different, however, and all of the images are very vague and fuzzy. Detail in a photograph is not particularly connected to the size in the sense that a small piece of a photograph will have a lot of detail on a small area of the scene. A large photograph will have a lot of detail on all of the scene. In a hologram, each grain has some of the information about the whole scene. A large hologram has a lot of details about the whole scene. Something different happens when you cut a hologram in half, you get the original picture, but it is less clear because you have lost detail. A lot of work has been done over the past several decades on the electromagnetic field phenomena associated with biological processes. The idea is nothing new, of course. Faraday did some experimentation with animal electricity, and Galvani, with his galvanic cells, did experiments with animals. It was quite understandable in the growth of science to accept life as being electronic. However, within the last 50 years, our intense activity in the biological field and the breakthroughs in molecular biology, DNA research, etc., have tended to obscure some deeper questions as to the nature of life. We are reaching the end of the paradigm in which we can afford to ignore the electromagnetic properties of the macro system and deal with chemistry as if it were taking place in a neutral system. This new field can be termed bioelectronic, a term based on biophysics. Conventional biophysics seems to be centered around very minute detail of things, such as ion exchanges across cell membranes. Very little contact is made with the idea that electromagnetic systems may regulate the whole multicellular organism, and not merely function at the level of cells. Regulation of the nervous system is thought to be primarily a biochemical phenomenon in the sense that it involves the exchange or perfusion of calcium and potassium across a cell membrane. In such a system what you essentially have is a ripple effect that travels down the process of the cell, a chemical signal caused by an exchange of ions. Even though electromagnetics is appreciated in the nervous system, it is seen as an epiphenomenon that is not integral to the regulation of the system. Such a theory does little justice to the complexity and subtlety of living processes. Some of the specific electronic characteristics in the cell could pertain to the presence or absence of various chemicals that either accept or donate electrons. Electron donation or electron acceptance are connected to older ideas of acids and bases, of chemical processes called oxidation and reduction. From this perspective one is forced to approach a biological solution, say, interior body fluids, on the basis of the electrolytes in solution, 
the different ionized and charged particles. And this is only the beginning. We must deal also with the fields that exist, the potentials and polarities. The charged particles in the fields begin to generate flows, forcing us to come to terms with a process called electrophoresis, which is the movement of small particles by an electrostatic field. Here we also recognize the possibility of electrodynamic fields moving particles in waves. What we have, essentially, is a solution of charged particles under a very complex control via a complicated electromagnetic field system that moves solutions around. But in moving the solutions, the charge distributions inside the organism change and modify the fields. In other words, there is a highly complex feedback between flows of particles and electromagnetic fields. We have an incredibly complex situation compared to a motor in which a simple electromagnetic field system is cut by a simple metallic conductor. We have an organic system in which there are literally billions of fields being generated by enormous numbers of particles, all being created, changed, switched around. There also possibly exists an interaction between the structure of a physical system and the fluid flows within that system, with the heart being one of the most profound examples of the latter. The heart could be seen as setting up a system of waves of movement that form the basis, the fundamental note, of the organic system. There are many other interesting bioelectronic characteristics. One of the most fascinating is the fact that protein form structures in cellular space are based on the charge distribution across their surface, which is related to the sequence of amino acids in their particular side chains, which determines their tendencies to act. Amino acids have been called semiconductor in nature on the basis of one end being an electron acceptor and the other being an electron donor. These link up into chains, which have little side spines with their own characteristics. It is possible that charge movement takes place across the surface of a protein. A line of side chain sticks out of the surface of a protein molecule, forming a charge distribution system that acts almost like an electrical conductor. Electrons could hop along the spine sticking out from the side of the protein molecule and actually flow across the surface as if traveling along a conductor. We possess any number of interesting prostheses, or special radicals in the sense of molecular substructures, that have a whole host of purposes. For instance, the heme of hemoglobin is a very fascinating iron prosthesis. This conjunction of iron and other atoms arrayed in space is very small compared to the size of the globin molecule to which it is attached, but very effective for acting as a grappling hook for oxygen. Such processes are under electronic control. Charge flow and distribution in a protein molecule are critical to changes in its shape. There is evidence of special tissue in the back of rats, in fatty pads, that can uncouple oxidation energy instead of converting it to ATP. Special enzymes convert oxidation energy directly into infrared radiation and radiate it out of their bodies. It is thus conceivable that infrared radiation takes place as a result of bioelectronic processes in proteins. In addition, recent research has detected microwaves in the brain and the heart of humans and rabbits. Clearly, a living organic system is a very complex holographic entity interfacing with various forms of electromagnetic activity. In the nucleus of each human cell, DNA carries the structure of our whole body. Not just our physical form, but also the processes that form undergoes in terms of survival. It is possible that DNA is a holographic projector, one that projects a field that is somehow experienced by other DNA in the body. Not only is DNA thus probably linked, DNA is also linked to its own cells that it regulates via mechanisms of RNA transfer and enzymatic action. It is further likely that DNA and RNA are in direct communication. Recent research has shown the possibility that DNA activates the motion of an RNA sphincter or iris mechanism to permit or exclude ion entrance into the cell. If this is true, and if DNA controls the action of RNA that goes to the ribosomes and other sites to create specific enzymes in the cell that lead to further developments, it seems reasonable that cellular enzymes are also under DNA's control.
DNA appears to be the projector of a biohologram, both at cellular and organismic levels. This means that DNA is responsible for creating a complex pattern of three-dimensional electromagnetic standing and moving wave fronts in the space that the organism occupies. We believe that these wave fronts interact with, interpenetrate and interdetermine the physical substance that makes up the creature. The biohologram has characteristic properties that include the ability to affect the DNA that occupies specific positions within the biohologram. In such a situation the nervous system constitutes, first and foremost, a coordination mechanism that integrates DNA projections across all of the cells in the biohologram, aligning these cellular holograms and linking the whole creature hologram. DNA in a particular cell is not totally active. There may be as little as 1% of the DNA present in the nucleus of the cell acting as the determinant for the structure of that cell. The nervous system, interestingly enough, has the highest percentage of operating DNA of any cell system in the body, up to 10% activation in brain cells where neuron nuclei are most active. If the membrane structure of neuron nuclei are examined closely, it will be seen that the different cavity systems that enter the outer and also inner membranes are, topologically, a single membrane. Thus their nucleus is effectively lacking a membrane. In other words, neurons may not actually be brain cells as such. We believe that the brain is the cell, and neurons are like a distributed cellular nucleus, making glial cells, which are intimately involved in the biohologram's projections and coordination, organelles in the giant brain cell. The biohologram, projected by the brain, creates standing and moving electromagnetic wave patterns at different frequencies of the spectrum in order to affect different biochemical transformations. There may be specific electrostatic fields, or there may be electrodynamic fields with various frequencies from low radio waves all the way up the spectrum into visible light and beyond. Another process important to our discussion of holography is called acoustical holography. Acoustical holography employs sound waves to create a movement on a surface that is used as the basis for creation of an optical hologram. Essentially, acoustical holography converts between a pattern of sound waves reflected off an object in space into a pattern of light waves that can reconstruct the shape of the original object. Here we have a transformation between two levels of vibration, two media as it were, preserving a pattern in space. This conversion process happens as a matter of course in the way DNA regulates our bodies. The special function of liver cells, for example, is created by the influence of the projection of the liver pattern on DNA in the cells where the liver is created. We are suggesting an important feedback mechanism between activation of DNA in a particular cellular tissue type that causes it to be that tissue type, and the biohologram being projected by the nervous system. This is the essence of bioholography. Conception Human sexuality is usually viewed as a physical chemical complex. A more coherent viewpoint would see human sexuality in terms of electronics. We will not go into the detail of the electronic behavior of the nervous system of the human being during intercourse, but we will begin the story with ovulation. Researchers have found that at the moment of ovulation there is a definite shift in the electrical fields of a woman's body. The membrane in the follicle bursts and the egg passes down the fallopian tubes. The phases of the moon quite probably influence the permeability of the membrane in the follicle, making it more likely that the egg will pass down the fallopian tubes at certain periods of time. The sperm is negative with respect to the egg. When the sperm and the egg unite, the membrane around the egg becomes hyperpolarized. It is at this moment that the electromagnetic entity is formed. The fertilized egg cell contains all the information necessary to create a complete operational human being. Furthermore, this biohologram begins to function at conception, and only ceases to function at death. Perhaps, then, conception is the proper place to mark the beginning of the individual. The zygote begins to divide as it travels down the fallopian tube. It is quite possible that it navigates its passage partially by sensing the biohologram of the mother. 
and this may actually assist the zygote as it approaches and attaches to the wall of the uterus. As soon as attachment to the wall of the uterus is complete, the zygote begins the process of establishing the linkage with the mother's circulatory system that will permit the passage of blood carrying important nutrients into the zygote. The womb is a special electronic environment in which an electrolytic solution provides an excellent framework for electromagnetic effects which are necessary in the development of the egg. Development The developing zygote is spherical in shape at first. Then it flattens to become the embryonic disc. The disc differentiates into three layers. The inner layer, the endoderm, will become the viscera, digestion, blood, etc. The middle layer, the mesoderm, will become the musculature, and the outer layer, the ectoderm, furthest away from the wall of the uterus, will become the nervous system and skin. Very early in development, one of the first appearances of discrete structure has to do with the formation of the neural tube. From a point in the center of the embryonic disc, a radial line defines itself out to the edge of the disc. On both sides of this line, called the neural groove, the flesh puckers up and curves over to form a tube. This is called the neural tube. Both ends of the neural tube are originally open. It is possible that field lines could pass through the tube, that the tube is actually entrapping electromagnetic lines of force. Eventually, the tube closes on both ends, trapping the amnionic fluid in the cerebrospinal space. The cerebrospinal fluid is an analog of the amnionic fluid that the embryo develops in. It is probable that the nervous system, especially the brain, retains some embryonic properties throughout the life of the organism. It is a safe assumption that the brain is, in a sense, the most infantile tissue in the body. As mentioned before, the greatest percentage of the genome is active in the brain, this agrees well with the idea that the brain is neoembryonic because originally all of the genome in the nucleus of embryonic cells is functional. It is only with development that most of the genome shuts down and specific cells begin to function, operating on only a fraction of their genetic potential. During formation of the neural tube, one end, the end that is in the center of the embryonic disc, begins to expand, enfold, twist and develop itself into a system of complex tissues and complicated geometrical structures, which will become the brain. It appears that the brain and central nervous system are necessary for the development of the creature, as they predate generation of most of the structure of the body. The study of cymatics has to do with the creation of structures from the resonance of wave patterns. As an example, if a drumhead is covered with fine sand and then caused to vibrate by drawing a violin bow across the edge of the diaphragm or drumhead, the sand will arrange itself in geometrical patterns. It will flow into lines that mark nodal lines of zero motion that separate zones of the drumhead that are moving in different directions. The simplest structure would be a single line that is the diameter of the drumhead, signifying that one half is pulsating differently from the other half. Yet the line between them is not moving, a phenomenon that is very important to an understanding of biological development. The biohologram projected by way of DNA in the embryonic nervous system forms a three-dimensional pattern of resonant structures, including points, lines, and planes, that electromagnetically behave as the acoustic, material, waves of the drumhead. In other words, these electromagnetic points, lines and planes form locations of no movement. Essentially the matter, electrolytic solutions, that are flowing, having been drawn from the blood of the mother, are caused to move rhythmically through the developing embryo. At certain points, lines and planes their motion stops. This is where structures are laid down and built up, a key process of embryonic holography. The zygote acts like a three-dimensional nozzle. Electrolytes from the mother's bloodstream flow through this nozzle into the somatic structure of standing wave patterns distributed through space inside the embryo and become fixed, solidified structures. This accounts for different physiological zones and the separation of these zones into tissue groups. The picture is completed by the effects of the biohologram on the DNA of the cells that have formed along with the migration of the substances.
we have an actual migration of cells, as well as a migration of substances throughout the embryo that take up locations dependent on resonant structures of standing wave patterns. The cells, having arrived at their proper location and beginning to involve themselves with the materials and the fluids that are flowing in the three-dimensional nozzle, are then specified in their particular tissue nature by the biohologram being projected from the nervous system. These tissue cells are refined and developed as their genome is shut down until only the DNA that operates in a particular type of tissue group cell is operative. Thus through a complex interaction, a kind of feedback loop, of three-dimensional electromagnetic fields rapidly dividing cells and directing the flow of electrolytes into those cells, a multicellular organism achieves the proper structure that will permit it to exist apart from the specialized environment of the womb. This brings us to the close of embryological development. When the proper point is reached at which a potentially self-sustaining entity has been created, then the conditions begin to change, leading to the expulsion of the new self-sufficient entity from the mother's womb. We are now ready to enter a new developmental phase. Postnatal development. Birth occurs. The fetus is expelled from the electromagnetic environment of the womb, and enters a world of separate gases, liquids, and solids. The biohologram which led to the development and stabilization of the entity now takes on its important control behavior that is necessary to keep the organism alive and well throughout its life. The biohologram changes its action with changes in media. Its responsibility is no longer the actual development of structures, but rather the regulation of processes within those structures. Very little has been said about the potential interaction of the biohologram of the mother and the developing baby. We do not know very much about this subject, except that the possibility of interaction certainly exists. However, at the moment of birth such an intimate interlocking of holograms ceases as the entity enters the world alone, at least in the sense that it can interact bioholographically with other creatures only under certain conditions. Evidence has been found that certain kinds of salamanders possess a complex system of electromagnetic sensing based on a string of spots along their side. As long as such a salamander is in salt water, which is an excellent electromagnetic conductor, this system of spots serves to detect three-dimensional electromagnetic field changes around the salamander, thereby alerting it to food, enemies, etc. But the salamander spends part of its time on dry land. When it comes on dry land, its holographic detection system withers and ceases to function because there is no longer a medium to sustain the necessary electromagnetic fields. However, when the salamander re-enters water, the holographic detection system comes back on. One reasonable possibility is that humans and other multicellular land creatures have such an external holographic detection system in the womb. Just as with our salamander in the above example, this external system tends to atrophy in the atmosphere because it does not have sufficient media to sustain the necessary electromagnetic fields. That said, there is still a very slight leakage of the biohologram beyond the entity's skin. This slight leakage is the basis of a great deal of paranormal phenomena and is definitely the origin of the concept of the aura. Under certain circumstances and in certain individuals in abnormal states, the projected biofield becomes faintly visible. It is possible, as recent research has shown, that the human eye can detect other frequencies than the strictly visual frequencies of light. Since the leaking biohologram may actually be on a different frequency than the visible spectrum, it appears that our eye transduces or translates it into the visible spectrum. The aura is intimately connected to the biohologram that causes the body to continue to function properly. Dowsing might possibly be related to an external functioning of the organism's bioholographic system. Experiments have shown that dowsers detect extremely minute changes in geomagnetism, which are probably connected to the presence of water underground. We are mostly water, and the structuring of water in our systems is very closely connected to our bioelectronic behavior. It is conceivable that we have some sort of sympathetic resonance that can permit us to detect a very minute magnetic field change associated with underground water.
ionization of the air also would potentially permit the expansion of the biohologram, aura, further beyond the skin. Areas of high ionization, such as mountaintops, coasts, waterfalls, etc., have been known since time immemorial as holy or magical places. This might be connected to the fact that the increased ionization in the atmosphere permits the expansion of the aura or biohologram to the extent that the biohograms of individuals can interact or to the extent that an individual can manipulate this biohologram to cause external effects that would be perceived by ancient superstitious people as magic. As long as the biohologram functions properly, as long as the nervous system continues to coordinate and project the complex three-dimensional fields that support the organism's biological processes, the entity survives. When the biohologram ceases to function properly, the organism suffers. And when the principal action of the biohologram stops, the organism dies. If there is any scientific correlate to the concept of the soul, it is most probably this bioholographic pattern system, which is composed of the ultimate stuff of the universe, electromagnetic field energy that does not die in the sense that creatures die, but is, like the soul, immortal. The biohologram, however, does change with growth, learning, experience, and age, showing development of the soul or electromagnetic field entity. Although a great deal more research needs to be done, it is conceivable that the electromagnetic entity might be capable of an independent existence which would form the basis for the concept of life after death. However, a free electromagnetic entity without a biophysiological matrix might have a difficult time interacting with creatures, such as ourselves, still utilizing the biophysiological matrix. Such a situation might be the origin of stories of ghosts and so forth, in which a disembodied biohologram attempting to communicate with a physical creature could only enter the nervous system of the creature and cause hallucinations of forms in space that on examination disappear or turn out to be merely hallucinations, having no scientifically verifiable existence. Regeneration In reptiles, tissue regeneration of a profound nature is possible. Entire limbs can be replaced. The process goes something like this. A leg is lost. The damaged cells on the stump revert to a neoembryonic condition. They then undergo explosive growth. The growth slows as the crude size and shape of the leg reappears. Refinement continues. Details appear. Growth slows even further. Finally, a new leg exists. Such regeneration is not possible in mammals. The greater detail and sophistication of the biological machinery in mammals is made possible by the greater sophistication of the bioholographic projection system, which we call the nervous system. In the case of a lost limb, nerve linkages that permit the very sophisticated mammalian fields, that define our appendages, to exist, is lacking. We can generate new tissue, but to regenerate nerve cells seems much more difficult. And without those nerve cells being present in the new limb, the final sophisticated stages of coordination are impossible. Many theorists now tend toward the concept that cancerous tissue is tissue that has been damaged in some fashion and has reverted to a neoembryonic condition. However, because the necessary coordination control is not possible for regeneration to proceed, the cancerous tissue is stuck in the earliest stages of regeneration and merely continues to divide and expand without any control whatsoever. This runaway behavior, that is outside the control of the physical biohologram, may itself be electromagnetic in nature. If it is indeed true that cancerous tissue is runaway neoembryonic tissue caused by a partially functioning regeneration system, and if we come to understand this process better, not only could we control cancer, but even more important and profound, we might be able to unlock the key of complex mammalian regeneration processes so that someday it could be possible to regenerate an entire human limb. Robert Becker, in a series of experiments, has shown that bone regeneration can be tripled in speed by the proper application of electromagnetic fields from the outside with no implants necessary. 
This proves that electromagnetic fields have a profound role in the generation and coordination of biological structures. As mentioned, the biohologram appears closely connected to paranormal phenomena. It is quite possible that psychic healers who lay on hands are, in essence, exporting the power of their own biohograms and asserting control of that biohologram over the sick, weak biohologram that has permitted the disease condition to occur in the patient. Just in the way that two oscillators that are connected will tend toward the frequency of the more powerful oscillator, if two biohologram systems are connected, the more powerful biohologram may entrain the weaker biohologram and restore it to its proper coordination function. It is possible that psychic surgery occurs via a process of the location of the diseased tissue through electromagnetic sensing in as much as diseased tissue has different electromagnetic properties than healthy tissue. An invasion of the body of the patient by the hand of the psychic surgeon occurs through manipulation of electromagnetic fields that actually cause the skin to part and help to locate the diseased tissue and then cause the skin to reclose. When a blood vessel is damaged, its polarity changes. If we can prevent that polarity change, we can prevent blood from clotting. This may explain the mastery of bloodless, toolless psychic surgery in which a surgeon with bare hands can enter a human body and withdraw tissue without leaving a cut. This phenomenon appears more as an interaction between biohograms than an actual interaction between physical substances. The physical substances are moved aside and then rejoined by the operation of the biohologram, thereby preventing blood loss or scarring. In closing, we call the reader's attention to the fact that the Earth, Sun and planets are all very complex electromagnetic entities. From the earliest existence of a bioholographic entity in the womb, the Sun, Earth, Moon, other planets and even stars beyond the solar system influence and to some extent direct the development of the entity. This is a very concrete electromagnetic connection that could serve as a scientific basis for explaining astrology. Not only do these conditions influence prenatal development, but they are also present postnatally and continue to influence the organism in a variety of interesting ways. Evidence has come to light that the brain can intercept various frequencies of radiation from astronomical and terrestrial phenomena. If this is so, then it provides a real scientific basis for the statements of mystics that we are all inextricably woven into the fabric of the universe. We are not separate, distinct physical entities, but rather partially interacting electromagnetic entities that partake of the rich electromagnetic life of the universe. Copyright by Richard Allen Miller and Burt Webb. All rights reserved. Author and physicist Richard Allen Miller's varied writings, spanning decades of leading-edge research, reveal a wealth and depth of knowledge and experience in alternative agriculture, New Age physics, and metaphysics. His noteworthy works include The Modern Alchemist and ESP Induction Through Forms of Self-Hypnosis. Visit his website at www.richardallonmiller.com.